Welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is a place where successful thought leaders in the SAP space come to share their leadership styles, their tips, and their unique stories on how to run successful large-scale SAP programs. Listen to the podcast to learn from their successes, their failures, their career stories, and their inspirations. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link below. Um, yeah, welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. I'm absolutely honoured uh, to have Bruce McKinnon on today. Bruce, I think you are probably one of the most well-known people in the in the SAP market in, in ANZ. Um, we've had some fantastic guests before, the likes of Sahida Frawley, um, Alex Aitken, Stephen Wells, Richard Arkell, um, and your colleague last week, Lisa Peters, as well. But um, I'm certainly excited. I know Sarah is certainly excited to get to tap into your your knowledge and insights um, and you have a few predictions over the next um, 12 months um, as well. But um, yeah, good to have you on, Bruce. Well, thanks, Jay and Sarah. Um, lovely to be here and uh, I'm obviously flattered by your intro. I'm not sure that's really <laughs> accurate, but not, but nonetheless, it's a it's it's great and look um, appreciate all the work we've done together over the years and, uh, and your support uh, for Accenture, which is where I've course I now am so uh, uh, thanks for the opportunity. No problem at all and we, we'd certainly be asking you a few questions about um, Accenture um, later on and your role there and and the plan over the next um, over the next 12 months but I'm sure there's not many people in the market that don't know you but mm -hmm. for those that don't I'm going to ask Sarah to do a really quick fire question round it's a cool. it's an addition for series two that we've had in uh, the podcast I'm going to set the timer for three minutes and so uh -oh. I've got 20 questions. We're going to try and rattle through them as quickly as possible before okay. tapping into your knowledge. Um, are you ready, no. Sarah? I'm ready. Let's see if we can set a new time record. Okay, so what's your full name, Bruce? My full name is Bruce Kenneth McKinnon. Any nicknames? Nicknames. Uh, look, not really, but uh, people have known to call me Bruiser from time to time. <laughs> not, 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 not that my physical appearance would suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> and where are you from? I'm, a, I'm an Aussie, so I'm actually third generation Aussie. So my grandfather actually emigrated out here from Scotland a uh, long, long, long time ago. But uh, yeah, I've, I've uh, grown up here and uh, have, have travelled a lot internationally. But, uh, but yeah, a, a, an Aussie. Well, I might give away your age then. How long have you been in Australia? <laughs> well, I, I was born here 54 years ago. So there um, go. Um, yeah, there you go. And I think we all know it, but where are you currently working? Currently working at Accenture. So um, have been here now for actually just ticked over 10 months. Uh, and uh, having a great time. And best job you've ever had? Best job. Um, best. Uh, I'm going to have two. Well, one was um, at, at PwC, um, where uh, I worked in the uh, uh, the mid mid to late 90s during the kind of the the R3 boom, uh, which uh, uh, for those people who are around long enough would, would recall with with some affection. It was it was a huge growth. And the other, um, apart from the current one, of course, but the other one was SAP itself. Which I, where I worked for 12 years and uh, just an amazing organization with amazing people. So I really enjoyed it. And worst job? Worst job. Um, worst job um, was, no, actually, I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I, I, if I did, I, I may offend um, people that, that I worked with at the time. So that's not appropriate. And favorite sport? Favorite sport. Um, well, I used to play a lot of volleyball. Um, so, uh, in fact, uh, many, many years ago, I was in the Australian team, um, briefly, not, very, not for very long. But, uh, so I used to play a lot of indoor volleyball, so that's still my favourite sport. But my other one that 
I, I now watch a lot, and I wish I played when I was younger, is AFL. Your daughter nice. plays AFL as well, doesn't she? She does. So my daughter, I'm very proud. My daughter is um, uh, the ruck for the uh, GWS Giants in the AFL women's competition. Um, so for anybody who's a fan, um, you can't miss her. She's the biggest and tallest person on, on the field. <laughs> so keep an eye out for her. Thanks for that. <laughs> and favourite beer? Favourite beer? Um, uh, definitely uh, any kind of good pale ale. Um, I, yeah. I, I love. Nice. Favourite meal? Favorite meal it has to be Japanese, um, nice. especially when I worked when I worked for SAP. I did a lot of uh, travel around the region, ABJ, and um, I, I love all sort of cuisines to, to be honest. But uh, it's the usual question: if if uh, if I if I was being executed tomorrow, my last meal would be a would be a nice Japanese meal. I think I'd have the same answer. And your number one lockdown tip? Number one lockdown tip. Um, oh, that, that's a good one. I, I would say um exercise we were just talking before the recording started here about making sure that you you set aside time for exercise and obviously without flouting any of the government rules um yeah. you know get out and about as much as possible to to take advantage of those exercise stints and how do you keep yourself sane um for me um it's uh i love watching sport but i also i i, I read a lot um so i like reading um mainly um non-fiction um history uh, biographies, um, political biographies. So any that, any recommendations, me. Bruce? On a, on oh, a look, um, this is going to sound a little bit um, elitist, but uh, um, there's a there's a there's a book. Uh, well, there's actually a series of books by an author named Robert A. Caro. Um, of a uh, it's a biography of Lyndon Johnson, who was a president um, of the oh, U.S. Um, and it's in four volumes, so it's a, it's not a light read, um, but it's, uh, it's it's one of the best written books I've ever read. It's absolutely outstanding. So I have read it. I'm going to read it again after I retire uh, in a few years' time. <laughs> and if you could describe your management style in one word, what would it be? Um, uh, empathetic. Nice. All right. Home stretch now. Favorite music or film? Uh, favorite film, Star Wars. I've watched nice. it hundreds of times. Excellent, excellent answer. Best holiday destination? Uh, uh, the uh, Kimberley in uh, northwest Western Australia. Nice. Um, absolutely outstanding. Put, uh, I would recommend everybody put it on your list. Um, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Put it on. And bucket list thing to do? Uh, have to be go back and travel again, whenever that might be. <laughs> um, You're the second both, person uh, to say that. Yeah, both around Australia, but also internationally as well. I don't know when that's going to happen, and it's obviously going to be very different to what we've experienced before, but but definitely. And favourite city? Uh, favourite city? Um, uh, it's, it's, it is Sydney, where I live, uh, but um, I, I do love Tokyo. It's a, it's a great place, just a fascinating place. And the people are just so friendly, it's amazing. Definitely. Uh, and if you weren't an SAP, what would you do? Um, I probably would be... Um, I'd be studying history or maybe going to politics, but it's too late oh, for that now. Could see that. Never too late. And one last fun fact about yourself. So one, one fact, yeah, well, actually I touched on it before, which is that um, I, I used to play a lot of volleyball. So I uh, represented Australia in uh, 1990, um, so a long, long time ago. Um, managed to um, play overseas in locations like Japan, India, um and other places and uh, uh i i am quite tall so in the, in the metric system i'm 193 centimeters but i stopped playing because i realized that i was too short to to really play um <laughs> at, for, at, for at a really really high level 
Um, so most of the people that play in in that position in volleyball is more like you know two two oh five two ten. Um, so just way too short. Brilliant. Thank well, uh, thank, thank you for that thank introduction, uh, Bruce. Uh, like I said, for those of you who don't know, hopefully you know Bruce a little bit more, uh, a little bit more now. So let's get into the the crux of it, Bruce. I'm really excited to hear about your your story. So how how did you get into SAP? Yeah. So um, thanks, Jay. Um, I, this is actually my second stint at Accenture. So I actually started as a graduate. Um, back then they were called Arthur Anderson. So. Um, for those who, who know a little bit about the history of, of Accenture, it was originally one of the big eight um, audit firms. Now there's only four, of course, but uh, back then there were eight and Arthur Ransom was one of those. And uh, uh, anyway, um, uh, I started as a university graduate, so I was very lucky to, to be employed after doing a, uh, an IT degree. Um, and uh, after a couple of years uh, of programming, um, I was uh, put onto an SAP project at uh, a customer, ESO um, Australia. Um, back in those days, it was the R2 mainframe product, um, so a long, long time ago. Um, and I was configuring the um, RKP and RKA modules, um, which are project systems and internal orders. Uh, I had no idea about accounting, which was a problem, so I had to quickly learn how the T-account worked. Um, and um, for as a programmer, I was just blown away by the concept of um, being able to configure um, a system um, to support a business process without having to, you know, program it from scratch. So um, it was just uh, unbelievable uh, technology and uh, fell in love with the opportunity to learn, learn about business process um, and uh, start and went from there. So um, it was a great intro and uh, I've, uh, I've had a couple of stints uh, since in non-SAP related um, roles, but really I've always reverted back to SAP, which is uh, which has been fantastic for the career. Sure. And you mentioned there that Obviously, this is your second stint at uh, Accenture. How how has it changed compared to the the first? Uh, yeah, first stint? great great question. Uh, looking and back in my day, there there were no mobile phones, no laptops. Um, um, so so you know you can just imagine all of our training was done uh, on paper. We used to submit um, manual timesheets. Um, these days, of course, it's all automated. Um, no surprise. It's interesting though. I think there's a lot um, of, of the dynamic of Accenture, which is still the same. Very high emphasis on um, methodology, um, very structured approach, um, uh, a desire for um, a big focus on people growth, um, enablement and training. Um, uh, Arthur Anderson back in those days was was famous for sending all of its grads over to Chicago um, for their training school. Um, that doesn't happen so much these days and obviously in COVID it's impossible but um, there's a lot of elements of that focus on on people, training, structure, uh, methodology, delivery, consistency, uh, uh, all of that. Uh, the difference is, though, of course, it's a lot bigger organisation than it was back then, um, a lot more international. Um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really you know, interesting to see how, how uh, Accenture has grown over those years and, and being able to still deliver great outcomes for, for our clients. So, so yeah, a bit, of, bit, of, bit the same, but a bit different as well. Sure, sure. There's um in the sporting world, obviously, uh, and particularly football. I'm a massive football fan. Uh, I'm a I'm a Chelsea fan, but um, I see Man United have just re-signed um, Ronaldo, mm. which is um, huge, huge news. And um, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of talk around his age, but like 36, and what keeps him at the top of his game, and and what keeps him in in football, and his dedication to his craft is just second to none. It's um it's just unbelievable. I'm going to put the same question to you, Bruce, because this is a bit of a Ronaldo situation. You was at Accenture, <laughs> you've, re you've returned after all these years, but what, what keeps you in the SAP domain and what do you enjoy most about it? 
Uh, it's thanks, Jay, and, and again, um, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't think I, an analogy back to Ronaldo is is, is ever <laughs> going to be thought about in the context of this discussion. But anyway, um, I look, um, look. Well, SAP, as obviously as an organisation of technology, it's 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 amazing um, in in being able to, uh, I think, on the one hand, play to its strength, which is the ERP, and actually being able to support best practice business process for for clients. Uh, but on the other hand, to adapt its technology to to meet the um, you know the ever changing you know requirements of the industry, um, and from an Accenture point of view, uh, I, look, it's been a long time since I've I've been actually been doing sort of configuration within the product myself. Um, I'm now involved mainly in um, working with clients at the executive level, managing the practice, setting strategy, uh, and so forth. But um, I, I do like to think that I'm inherently curious about. Um, where um, the, the industry is going, where SAP is going, um, and all of the recent strategies around uh, SAP's rise announcement um, have been really interesting. Um, and obviously, it's part of my role to uh, help Accenture adapt to that and to to provide great um, service to our clients. So I just love learning um, about what what's going on. Uh, I love hearing about what great outcomes. And it doesn't have to be Accenture for that matter. It can be anybody in terms of what's being delivered to a client. And um, that mixture of SAP being consistent enough to um, allow or to encourage clients to ad adhere to best practice, but on the other hand, being flexible enough to actually meet you know, most organisations' needs without having to be customised is, is to me, still fascinating. Um, I know I, 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 I'm always interested to hear about some of those examples. And sorry, I think um, on that point, you've got a good question about um, obviously the Australian population. I do. So as we all know, Australia in general lives in an ageing population, but especially now with COVID, probably one of the most topical conversations that we have in the market is uh, populations in decline. Just a fact that a million people have left. We're very quickly nearing an age bracket, wherein quite a bit of the SAP market is nearing that retirement age. Mm. How is Accenture and in your kind of, you know, perspective, the SAP market, how is it going to deal with this? What are some strategies that we can start to employ? Now, it's a great question. Um, and it's really topical. Um, the, the market is is pretty hot at the moment, which is great. Um, it's great to see that SAP is is continuing to grow in, in, in their business and that provides a growing ecosystem for all of us. So the, the big question is how do we service um, the client's needs um, and, and make sure that we can, as best we can, control you know the rising costs that that would you know meet require to support that. As you say, um, talent is is the talent pool is is limited um, and 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 potentially declining in terms of the context of the population. Um, we're obviously um, looking to uh, you know get even better at delivering our services remotely. Um, Accenture, like many of our competitors, uh, is a global organisation, so we have a strong offshore delivery capability. Um, you can never replace the intimacy of a, of a local relationship, however, mm -hmm. uh, albeit it's now over a Teams call rather than in person. Um, hopefully that'll change. Um, so there's all sorts of different dynamics about trying to address this, this challenge. Um, but the other one which is interesting is, and this is, is, has been, a, I think, topical for SAP for, for some years now, even before COVID, uh, is that um, SAP um, is, is a great technology but maybe suffers from the perception and the fact that it's, it's over 40, almost 50 years old now. Um, as, a, as, a, as an organisation, very hard to compete with some of the newer players, the different growth um, uh, engines, um, the cloud organisations, um, all of this discussion around native cloud versus you know private cloud versus public cloud and so forth. 
Um, so it's a matter of keeping SAP cool. Um, and and one of the dynamics of that is, is, is how do we make SAP cool for our young talent, the people who are graduates now, um, and when they're making choices to in terms of their career, um, why would they choose SAP over um, another technology career? Um, and that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, when I talk to the executives at SAP, we often revert back to how is Accenture as one of the leading um, organisations um, looking to refresh our, uh, our team uh, with young talent and, uh, and to provide them with the right training um, to, to, to be effective. And it's not easy because um, it does require that sort of inherent business process knowledge, depending on mm. which which module people are working within, um, and, uh, and and providing that that training environment to support that. So we're we're um, uh, growing our, our graduate program um, in Accenture, um, where we have some great alignment with a lot of the universities, um, uh, and and looking to accelerate that. Uh, we'd like to actually contribute to more of an ecosystem wide initiative. So I've been talking to SAP. Mm. About that as well, um, and uh, making sure that 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 is strong. And, and obviously, society here in Australia is such that I think a lot of people are interested in in building more of that STEM approach to um, senior schooling and and, and uh, tertiary education. Uh, we're even um, looking at um, bringing people in without graduate degrees, um, and um, and also people who maybe have been SAP users uh, but maybe not um, configurers or programmers. Uh, and then cross-training them in the technology to make them effective as well. So we're looking at all sorts of different uh, avenues to um, to really increase our, our our capability and our capacity. Um, but um, I think to your point, Sarah, uh, eventually the borders will open up, um, mm -hmm. and um, and then we'll be looking to sort of recreate the the opportunity for bringing people into Australia. And of course, Australia is still a very attractive location for people to 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 come to. So hopefully that that population decline will reverse in in time. Yeah, 100%. And it probably has already touched on it, but like we all know, borders are closed. International travel is just not a thing at the moment. COVID has well and truly affected the world. How has it affected Accenture? And more importantly, how are you different now as a leader and a company off the back of it? Great question. Um, and uh, again, we're not unique here, but Accenture is a global organisation. Um, uh, my heart goes out to to the, uh, my colleagues, um, many of whom have been personally impacted. We've we've lost some colleagues as well, um, particularly in other parts of the world. Um, so it's um, it's been very difficult for everybody to to work through that. Um, the consequences remain. Um, um, there's there's we're, we're looking we're trying to look after the mental health of our of our people. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so important. We never forget that. Um, and um, look, as a you asked me before about the one word I would describe myself. I've always tried to um, understand the people that I work with and get to know them. Um, and uh, I think that um, that's really important at this stage is to is to um, just think a little bit about um, who, who's on the other side of that team's call um, and, and their circumstances. Um, and uh, often um, I find just a, an open conversation, um, potentially non-work related, um, is is really important. So I think I've learned that that's even more important now. Than it mm. is ever. Um, it's always been important, but it's 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 just, it's crucial uh, now. And uh, sometimes I have my regular calls with my team um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and we don't even get to work matters, and we just talk about what's going on um, in in their personal life, you know, kids, um, their 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 relatives. Um, uh, many of my colleagues, of course, have have got um, families in other parts of the world. Um, so um, as I said, have had personal in, you know impact. Um, so it's, uh, I think just often having that conversation is, is very helpful.
Sure. And um, when we when we had Alex Aiken on the podcast, that was the big word and big takeaway I got out mm. from it. And it's that empathy. And I'm hearing that from yourself uh, as well, Bruce, really getting to know your your team and what motivates them and their drivers and how how they are um, before even touching on on work. Such a such an important piece. Um, on to on to the, like the next question. As a as a leader, is, is your uh, methodology and leadership style changed uh, over time, or um, have you always been that that empathetic, for instance? Oh, uh, it, it's definitely changed, uh, Jay. I think um, um, as I've been fortunate to sort of take on various sort of management roles um, in in the different organisations I've worked for, um, I've learned a lot about um, um, you know. I'm not suggesting that that I'm, I'm I'm good or perfect or anything like that. It's just a matter of of, of really just learning a little bit about, and it's, it's all, I, I don't have any sort of um, psychology qualifications or anything like that, but I just find the human interaction um, fascinating um, in terms of um, what, what really motivates people, um, what, 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 everybody's different, um, uh, and, and, and really just um, uh, providing, uh, and for me, it's been a, a case of just trying new ways of actually managing and leading people, um, seeing what works, um, trying to be open, um, and um, I think a big element of it is is just trying to be as authentic as possible. Um, and uh, and I've I've found that that usually works. Um, doesn't matter what form you're in, if if you're authentic and and open and and truthful, you can't be truthful about everything in, in some circumstances. But um, in many cases, um, even in very difficult situations, um, just being open about what's going on and then why we need to do certain things. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the best way, I, I think. I mean, a good example might be um, way back, um, I was working at SAP during the GFC back in 2009, and unfortunately, like a lot of organisations, we had to let a few people go. Um, that was very difficult for SAP themselves because it's a very socially democratic um, culture and organisation. Um, it wasn't done easily at all. Um, so um, as having those, those conversations with, with colleagues that unfortunately we, we had, that had to leave, um, it teaches you a lot about um, um, actually uh, how to act, you know, conduct yourself during those conversations um, and, and like when you need to stick to a script and maybe when you go off script and so forth. And there's no sort of golden rules about that, but uh, I've just found that uh, being authentic usually works and it, it helps to build trust at the end of the day, which, um, which is what you, you just need to have in an organisation to, to be able to provide that opportunity for people to work there. Sure, sure. One um, one question that I'm kind of fascinated with at the moment. So I'll give you some context. We we're, we're a 25 um, business at the moment. 25 in terms of um, headcount. Okay. Um, one of the big things at as we grow and there's a huge growth plan, um, is how do you leverage middle middle management? So you're talking there about um, obviously your empathy, your leadership style. Um, and obviously in our organization, we've got uh, the MD, Simon, I founder Jill, and then we, I sit in like that middle management and then I've got the, the team. So their message has to go through through me and then they have to leverage me through, through the team. Now, obviously your team, like how, how big is your, your team, Bruce? Yeah, so at the, at the moment, um, Jay, we've, uh, we've grown the team and part of this was through our acquisition of the ZAG organization, by the way, a wonderful team of, of people, um, which, is, which has been great. But also through organic hiring, so we've we've we're now at just over 500 in in my team in Accenture, which is which is huge. Like, how do you like with your leadership like methodology and that empathy? Like, how do you have a touch point with all 500 of of your your team and 
yeah, I'm, I'm just fascinated about that. And how do you get that message down through through layers? Oh, it's a good, good question. And, and there's no, there's no, unfortunately, there's no secret sauce, uh, Jay. I wish, I wish there was. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a, it's a combination. Obviously, um, uh, the, the first thing is, is I think providing a little bit of structure in in the business. So not too much because you can obviously have overkill, but enough structure that you've got, let's call it pods or teams of people actually um, have. And I think I forget the, the science here, but what is it? Um, you can only ever know a certain number of people well. You know, yeah. you can't not 500 obviously, um, and um, so creating that kind of size of of and, and in our case we've got practice uh, practices. So within SAP we've got the finance practice and the technology practice and so forth, and uh, and even within those we then have sub practices. So mm. it could be on on technology integration or it could be on finance costing, or or whatever. Um, and then you've got that little kind of um, little sort of team where where people have got you know friends, they've got regular interaction, they're bouncing ideas off each other, um, and obviously you leverage your processes and your technology to facilitate that. Again, very important in in the era of COVID. Uh, and then, but then the other dynamic is communication. So it's communication um, from from top leadership down uh, to everybody. Um, so in my in our case, uh, we have uh, town hall calls, um, which which I run on a quarterly basis. Um, and then I have more regular calls with my immediate team um, um, to, to provide for those sort of key messages. Um, hopefully provide as open communication as possible. That's, uh, that's really important um, is to, is to um, be as open as possible and, and not let uh, myths or, or um, mistruths kind of perpetuate as too long. Um, and, um, uh, and then I'll, the other thing I find I try to do is, is, is be approachable. So, and this is this is an interesting one, right? So uh, I guess, especially if you've got like that upper management, middle management um, structure, big question is, should upper management be talking to everybody? And is that going to potentially bypass or disempower middle management? My view is, no, it doesn't have to at all, provided you're doing it in the right way and in the right sort of um, uh, um, approach to, to that. So I, I, I don't know all 500 of my team. Um, I wish I could, um, I just don't have the time. But um, I've I've encouraged people to approach me, um, and then um, have one-on-one -on -one conversations. But then I I usually share the pertinent pieces of that without betraying any kind of personal trust with the their their team leads or their managers, um, so that they we can get things done. So if there are things to achieve, then we we I, I try to make sure that we we do that. So and the other point I'd say Jay is if there's a particularly difficult thing or or, or something happening. Um, and I, I won't share the details too much, but we did have one of our key people leave the organisation a few months back. So everybody in the team was a little bit um, uh, upset and a little bit sort of confused. What, what is that going to mean? So I, I then decided to set up one-on-one -on -one calls with everybody in that particular team. So it actually took me about a month to, to get through. Um, but um, I enjoyed it because I got to know everybody in that team and, and I found that um, the, the feedback was good opportunities to, to sort of just have an open conversation around whatever topic was required. So long answer to your question there, but I guess it comes back to really um, as much open communication as possible so that uh, everybody feels like they've got, got the information they need. Brilliant. Thanks, Sarah, Bruce. That's really, really insightful. All right, Sarah, over to you. It is to me. So um, I guess we're almost nearing the end now, but who has been the biggest influence? In your career, Bruce, obviously yeah. it spans a number of eight years. But yeah. what do they teach you? What is that message that's always stuck with you from here on? Decades, Sarah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be kind. <laughs> now, look, one, one of my old um, bosses, um, I'll, I'll, I'll even mention him by name. His, his name was Chris Bennett. Um, uh, he's um, he's retired now. He does still does a little bit of um, uh, advisory work from time to time. But uh, he was um, uh, one of the, uh, or he was the lead partner at PwC when I was there in the 90s um, and uh, grew the SAP business from from about sort of 10 people when I when I first started working with him to over 400. Um, and uh, he, he, he um, it was kind of at that stage of my career as well where I was in my kind of you know, mid to late 20s and um, sort of just, I was quite ambitious. Um, and uh, he took me a little bit under his wing, like many other people. There's a, I think there's a loyal following of people that um, are still very appreciative of his leadership. Um, and he just taught me some some really interesting uh, elements around leadership, actually. Um, so, in fact, one little story that I can, I'm happy to relay, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He sort of said to me, Bruce, if you want to be a leader in your career, um, you, you've obviously want to be potentially at the tip of a pyramid, right? So you're going to have a team of people. And Jay, you kind of touched on it with, with middle managers and so forth. And he said, um, if people don't want to work in your pyramid, then it's the foundation is kind of crumbling, right? So it's really hard to build you to build your pyramid big higher with a crumbling foundation. So what you want is to create an environment where people actually like working in your team. Uh, and and look, at the end of the day, you're not going to keep everybody, but uh, if you can sort of keep people actually really enjoying working as part of that, um, and that sort of enjoyment equation is yes, money's part of it, but there's many other different elements of, of wanting to work in a team or an organisation. Um, then um, that's that's really important, and it's, it's like obvious. It's one of those kind of obvious truths, but the way he yeah. kind of portrayed that, it's kind of stuck with me forever. So um, it's uh, yeah, he was uh, he was definitely one of my, my. There's many. There's been many others as well, but uh, he was definitely one of my mentors. That's really yeah. topical at the the moment. We've um, we've we've changed as a as a business internally here, and we've we've implemented the the four day five days. So mm. basically, you're paid for five days, and you're only expected to do four days, and on the fifth day. You, you manage your day and giving that trust back to staff and um, like obviously Chris's advice there that's all around investing well-being keeping your staff happy basically and yeah. we've, we've had a massive massive boost we've seen productivity actually go up because of that so um, yeah very very kind of topical for us exactly no I, I'm not surprised I mean um, that's the other dynamic um, when I first started work a long long time ago um, uh, it, it, yeah people did not transition between organizations as easily as they can and do today. So that kind of loyalty is uh, was somewhat kind of assumed and implied back then. Um, these days, of course, people, and you know, obviously this is part of your business, is to help people with those career transitions, right? So yeah. it's um, um, it's definitely something which which I'm mindful of, is that um, people, people choose with their feet uh, in terms of where they want to work um, and um, uh, providing that environment of of wanting to be there and actually wanting to to do good things, and then you come down to how how are they managed? I mean, I don't, I've not ever, I've never met somebody who enjoys being micromanaged, never. <laughs> um, some people appreciate sort of some advice in terms of what they need to do, uh, but um, not being micromanaged. So in extending that trust and basically saying, you know what, we're we're paying you, you know, some good money to do a job. Um, it's up to you to sort out how you do it. Um, within reason, right? There's always, there's always, you know, there's always some reason there, but I think uh, that's really important. And most, in, I've found that most times people step up to the challenge, and absolutely will will, will repay that trust, um, and and then some. Yeah, 100%, 100%. In fact, a lot of the clients that we've seen having had success, particularly during the last turbulent, you know, 12 almost 24 months now, are the ones that had open communication because it built the trust, it built the loyalty, and the rest just 
naturally flowed really into yeah. into benefiting the company, benefiting its staff. And exactly. um, for you, it's probably the final, almost the final question. What would you tell the 21-year-old self, Bruce? Yeah, good question. Um, um, I, I was I was a very shy kid, um, and uh, um, I, I, what I'd be telling myself um, if if I could was to say just be be bolder. You know, I mean, um, the other thing is uh, I found um, and it just comes through a little bit of confidence, right? But um, actually, um, speaking up if if I if I don't know something. Um, I've, I've, I've been, I've learned this adage. There's an old adage. There's, there's no such thing as a stupid question, uh, only a stupid answer. Um, I usually find that if I ask the question, then half the people in the room say, oh, I'm glad you asked that question. I didn't know that either. Um, and, um, just being a little bit bolder about, um, um, stepping up and, and share, willing to be a little bit, um, show a bit of vulnerability as well. Um, which, uh, again, depends on circumstances, but, um, I just say, it's just be a bit bolder and, um, and take, take some risks as well. Um, it's a, a usually work out. Um, so perhaps I, I was a bit conservative early in my career, but um, so I, I definitely say be bolder and take some risks. Sure. I'm going to throw this um, this question at you, Bruce. Imagine you're talking to an SAP consultant. You're in you're in Australia. Um, you've got about ten years experience. You're a bit you're a bit nervous about the next you know, the next twelve months. Um, obviously, COVID's thrown some few different situations. You've had to adapt. If you could like predict the next 12 months or, and speak to that SAP consultant, what what advice and what would you say to, to him or her? Um, yeah, good question, Jay. Um, the, a couple of things. Um, um, one is don't, don't um, underestimate the skill you have, particularly if they've got sort of 10 years or so of experience, right? Um, that That is incredibly valuable. Um, so um, don't underestimate that that capability. Um, the, the other thing I would say is um, make sure you also focus on your consulting skill as well as your technical skill. Um, um, and I think all organisations, but, but here in Accenture, um, we're very focused on making sure that, that, that our teams have, have all of that element to their skill profile. Um, so uh, if, if, if you can confidently say that you're, you're, you're good at understanding the SAP portfolio in your particular area of, of domain knowledge, um, and you can also um, articulate yourself well. You can tell a story. Um, you can prepare a good um, presentation. You can facilitate a good workshop. Um, you, you'll go a long, long way, long, long way, because um, those sorts of skills. And, and I guess um, um, one of the many reasons I decided to return to Accenture, um, Accenture is where I cut my teeth originally around early in my career with, with not just technical skills, but those consulting skills. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not professing to be very good at this myself, but it, it was a great foundation for for my career was to have that ability to um, have that level of of communication and interaction with with people, with clients, with colleagues, um, and others to to help you to to be successful. So so that that's what I would be saying. Excellent, that's a great insight. Thank you, Bruce. And um, lastly, before we go, and and I want to say again, thank you for your insights there. It's it's absolutely amazing to to hear that. Um, I'm sure you're, you'll be giving a lot of people confidence in the in the market as well. Um, but, but yeah, before we let you go, um, is there anyone else that you would recommend or you would like to hear on this podcast, Bruce? Oh, that's a, a great question. Um, uh, I, 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 um, uh, I, I like how you you've obviously I'm, I'm, I was I was honoured to be asked to to come along, um, and you've mentioned some great names already, um, many of whom I know. 
um, I, I would be good. I, and I won't name specific names, but um, mm -hmm. I think uh, other leaders in in um, uh, you know, SAP related consulting businesses, um, uh, even other executives from from SAP. You mentioned Alex and Sahida, which is absolutely great. Um, but uh, but other leaders, I think um, I would presume that your audience would be interested to hear about future trends, um, mm -hmm. what, what what we think is hot versus maybe what's not. Yep. Um, so that would be uh, I think my answer to that question. But uh, but look, this is great, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity to contribute. Excellent. Thank you again, Bruce. Really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Bruce.